Listeners, start your engines. episode 45 rob here on this episode we're closing out our teenage mutant ninja turtles mega series with a look at 2016's teenage mutant ninja turtles out of the shadows we're gonna have claire from the w rated podcast join us to discuss that film as always you can find more episodes of the show on apple Podcasts, spotify good pods and other podcatchers as well as crookedtable.com go ahead and give us a rating or review wherever you're listening to this episode For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer, jump into our conversation about 2016's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Out of the Shadows. This speech is my recital. Bogey's on the bus. I think it's very vital. Hit the button. What button? There are a million buttons. Just four brothers who hate bullies and love this city. Well, well, this never works out well for you. What's your name? Casey Jones. Hey. One question. Are you two guys like a thing? I'm looking for Aaron Moore. But we could work with that. Me too. This is gonna be good! (laughs) Dude, bringing back the mohawk. Good for you. Oh, oh, y'all got jokes, huh? Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we are completing the what is it, 25 years, 30 years, whatever it is, for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie franchise with 2016's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. And I'm honored to welcome to the show Claire from the W-Rated Podcast. Welcome. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. So tell people a little bit about your show and, and everything you have going on. Yeah, so uh, my show, W-Rated, is a podcast where we watch the worst rated films. So we are specifically watching any film that's on the IMDb bottom 100. And there's 100 of them, but it's a live list, so it changes all the time. And so we're not going, you know, 100 to 1, both because I don't think we wanted to put ourselves through that, and (laughs) there's varying availability of certain films. So we kind of just pick and choose as we go on. And we're also at the moment, and probably when this gets released, we'll have just finished our Razzies 2023. So we're watching all of the films nominated in this year's Razzies Awards as a way to pick fun or add fuel to the fire, but to look at, you know, what was going on? What did they deserve to be nominated? Are they really as bad as that award show is kind of trying to tell people? And spoiler alert, nine times out of ten, they're not. And it's just people being weird. Um, and that's that's the spirit of the whole show. You know, we look at the making of the film, the how it was received, the production, you know, how it's some of them are like 50 years old, how they fare up now. And we talk about like what's good and if it's not good, 
what happened and where did it go wrong? Because no one sets out to make a bad film. So it's nice to kind of give them a bit of credit or we try to. Exactly. No, I, I love that, that, that spirit of it, that not going necessarily to rip things apart, just more contextualizing. Well, what, what, what was the intention and yeah. yeah, what, what happened here? Is, are there, just out of curiosity, are there any movies that you've watched for the podcast that you're like, huh, I don't know. I don't, this is, I think this is not as bad as its reputation might lead me to believe. Is any, any pleasant surprises along the way? The Emoji movie. I get that. Really? It was, I get that it was nonsense and it was a stupid idea for a film. And it was absolutely just like, I don't know who got the money. Sony, like China cell phones. I don't really know what like the, the money grab was with that. But right. like, I thought that was going to be the most horrific film ever. And I was like, it was a cute little kids film. It was like 90 minutes. Like I watched it on a Sunday afternoon, had some chocolate. Nice time was had. <laughs> You're all too much on the little, like it's a kid's animation film. You don't need to be that pressed. Right, right. I think I think it's it, it came out like a few years after like the Lego movie. I think everyone was just super wary to, okay, now they're just trying to be like, Anything could be a movie. This board game is a movie. This card game is a movie. This toy is a movie. This app is a, like, you know, Angry Birds is another one mm -hmm. that became like an app turned movie, like a, a, a you know, a mobile phone based uh, movie. And so, yeah, I haven't seen the emoji movie. I just remember Patrick Stewart voices the poop emoji, he I does. believe. He does. And this thing, look, I'm not telling anyone to go out there and watch the emoji right. movie. It's not the best film I've ever seen or anything like that. But I was just like, why is everyone like, because people are vicious. Like people are like, this film should burn in the bowels of hell. And I'm like, it's fine. It has a cute little song. The emoji seems cute. Like it's a sweet little story about being yourself. Like, can we, if you don't like it, just watch something else. <laughs> why is this film living rent free in your mind just let it go <laughs> yeah exactly people just love to hate on things i think mm -hmm. to a certain extent speaking of good transition some of the ninja turtles movies not particularly well regarded i don't think any of them are in the bottom 100 of imdb yeah. mm -hmm. but i would imagine three and is probably pretty low and 2014's tmnt is probably not doing too great there what was your introduction to these characters what's your history with this franchise before we talk about this particular film yeah so my introduction to the turtles was actually not through media but through toys i have two Makes older sense. brothers one who's like six years older than me so he was a proper like 80s 80s kid and nice. we just had he loved them so we had turtle toys everywhere and we had the pizza thrower van which was like my favorite toy so like <laughs> you put the little pizzas in and you drive them around and then they shoot pizzas at people and like i loved it i was obsessed with that toy so I think like the figurines and those bits were my introduction to who these guys were. And then my brother would just watch the cartoon all the time. So like via osmosis, like a little four-year-old me in the 90s was just like, these people are cool. And my dad found Krang hilarious from the kind of like the late 80s cartoon. Just oh, yeah. Krang was hilarious. And every Christmas he would make a sausage stuffing dish, which just is a giant pink lump. And it was in our family, never called that. It was always called Krang. And my dad would be like, well, get the <laughs> Krang out. And who wants some Krang? So they, they just, they were in our home. And so I, I was saying to you earlier, I don't know if I actually ever sat down and watched the original films. I think they would just probably be on. And I yeah. really didn't have much interest in them, whereas I watched the cartoon. Not religiously, but it would be on. I'd sit down. I'd enjoy it. Yeah. 
And then I kind of not forgot about them, but they, they went away for a bit. They weren't around for, you know, a lot of the time. I completely missed the 2007 film. And then Mr. Bay came back and I am controversially a fan of most of the Transformers films. So I was like down to see what he's doing with my, my turtle friends. And I again, once again, was like, they're not that bad, guys. Can we all sit <laughs> down? Can we all just chill? So then you you a defender of the 2014 Ninja Turtles movie, I, I assume. Yeah, like I maybe wouldn't go so far as defender. <laughs> like that sounds quite strong. I'm not. Right. I'm, I'm not going on any soapbox. You know, I thought it was a fun time at the cinema. Like for me, they just complete popcorn movies. Like just put them on, turn your brain off. You know what? What do people call it? Like soft brain or smooth brain? Like just yeah. put the popcorn in the mouth and let the flashy images hit your eyes and laugh at the weird puns and then, you know, go back to the real world, which is way worse. So, you know, I'm always That's happy true. for a big screen. Yeah, I I was that proper 80s kid watching the cartoon and growing up with the movie. So it was it was weird when they did the 2014 one because people will have heard us will have heard me talk about this already by now. But it was it was like a it was on the one hand this is not hashtag not my turtles mm-hmm. to an extent because the tone of that film is so all over the place like it's yeah. trying trying to play to kids but then it's got a, a, like uncomfortable amount of sexual humor. Mm-hmm. It's like darker in tone but it's also trying to be it's it's it it doesn't really know what it, it wants to be trying to get the mcu fans but it yeah. doesn't know how to do it with the characters it has and there was a lot of like shifting midway through production on who the shredder was going to be i think there's a lot of reports that william fickner's character was supposed to be the shredder and then they you know they got backlash from fans so they were like rejiggering the, the mm-hmm. film there's a lot of it's it's just like a weird frankenstein mess of a movie in the end but it's still the turtle so i was like well you know i'll take it there was <laughs> other than the 2007 film which i thought was decent and was kind of a one and done because of behind the scenes issues we hadn't really had a ninja turtles franchise since the 90s yeah when they went to feudal japan in 1993 <laughs> and so i was like all right whatever i'll allow it but then, so then going into this one, I was really hoping that they would correct some of that and, and I don't know, make it closer to what I, I, I and a lot of fans imagine these characters mm-hmm. to be. So did you see this one in theaters? What was your, when, when did you first come across Out of the Shadows and did it deliver? Yeah, I, I did go to the cinema to see Out of the Shadows. I can't remember if I saw the, the first Michael Bay, the 2014 one in the cinema or not. I don't remember that, but I do specifically remember going to see this one. And, you know, again, I just had a fun time. Again, that it is hashtag not my turtles. They're very modern and they're very 2010s-ified. And, like, I, they're also very, like, caricatured. Like, it's so, like, screenwriting 101. Like, this one's the geek, so he has glasses, (laughs) and this one's the tough guy. Um, And it's so, in these ones, especially in comparison to the earlier ones, it's so telegraphed in that respect. But I had fun. I was so, so delighted that Krang was in it. That was my big, like, oh my God, it's Krang. And like, Bebop and Rocksteady, I'm not sure how successful they were, but it was fun to see them there because for me, it was a nostalgia trip of my like, little sign at like things in my brain suddenly being like, you used to know what that was. And, my, <laughs> and I, you know, dopamine hit. Right. And the last time they did a Ninja Turtles 2, they had the lame Bebop and Rocksteady stand-ins, Toka mm-hmm. and Razar. Yeah. And everybody's just like, well, because apparently the creators of the comics didn't want Bebop and Rocksteady because they were tired of those characters and they were annoying and all that. And then they had baby 
mutant monster the yeah, pre- characters it. that were also annoying and uh, i don't know i, I that <laughs> that just felt like a missed opportunity like they should have just done them there but absolutely because those as well though like animatronics the costumes slash puppets from those original movies are so cool i would have yeah. loved to have seen a bebop and rocksteady in that yeah absolutely absolutely so no i i i'm right there with you a, just a little behind the scenes on this show like you and I have the same rating for this movie on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I use that site as research. Like, well, who, who likes this movie? Does anybody like this movie? Because <laughs> I feel like this one in particular is unfairly maligned. Like mm-hmm. 2014 came out and it made, you know, 191 domestic and 485 worldwide. And this one came out and has a bigger budget. This cost $135 million and did 82 domestic and 245 worldwide. So huge drop off in at the box office. And I feel like it got comparable, if not slightly worse, maybe, or slightly better reviews. I'm not sure exactly, but it it just kind of disappeared without a trace. Mm -hmm. And I felt like it was a, a, a big improvement for the reasons, some of the reasons you mentioned, the inclusion of the Bebop and Rocksteady and Krang, but also it feels like it's, it feels like it's closer to the animated series to me. Like, the other one, the first one, like we said, doesn't feel like it knows what it is. This one, it feels like they were like, okay, people just want to see the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just make a live action version of the cartoon. So watching it last night for this episode, I was I was really kind of vibing with it because I was like, yeah, this is fun. What the hell? That's it. Like, neither of us have given it glowing reviews, but we've just like, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun movie. Like, sometimes I like to be amused. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it feels like... It's not afraid to embrace how ridiculous this stuff is because these are four six foot tall turtles <laughs> and they fight other six foot tall monsters and dimensional creatures, a brain and a robot body. And like, you know, so this movie kind of leans into that. So you have all of the the cartoon logic in this film, which I'm like, sure, whatever. I'll allow it. It doesn't even try to be be set in the real world. No. I think starting with the turtles, turtles themselves. What are your What are your thoughts on their? You, I guess you sort of comment on in their personalities or lack thereof in this film. But isn't it an improvement over the last one? I think it's just more of the same. And so yeah, it probably is an improvement. They're probably settling in a bit more. I think it was just when I watched it this time for the pod, my housemate kind of drifted in and out and watched kind of the last hour with me. And she really pointed out, she was like, oh, that one's the tough guy because he wears his mask over his head. And it really (laughs) drew attention to all those things to me. But I do think they settled into them. And I do think, you know, they give them a bit of heart. My only real complaint in comparison to kind of the original movies, and I can see why they've done it, is they felt like teenagers in the original movies and they felt like teenagers in the in the cartoon. I've not read the comics, but I'd assume same. They mm. do not feel like teenagers in this. <laughs> they feel like people in their mid-twenties. And I think it's also because they're hanging out with a lot of adults. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to really be much like teenage fun going on. Like even Michelangelo doesn't have the like cutesy teenness in comparison to previous iterations. <laughs> but again, it's that it's the MCU world and we all just live in it and they're trying to like teenagers don't want to see weird teenagers anymore. They want to see cool teenagers and tough teenagers. Well, the thing too is that they're supposed to be ninjas and yet their bodies are like way too muscular. They, you'd think they would be like yeah. lean, like more like Spider-Man style, like There's lean and athletic. Ninjuring. There's not yeah, much n- There's And to your point, their personalities, and, and to be honest, let's be honest, they've always been like 
from the original theme song, Leonardo leads Donatello does machines and Raphael's <laughs> cool but rude. They've always been like, these are their boxes. They stay in those boxes. And so this movie, when they have the title cards, like, Leo, the leader, and like, Raph, the muscle. I'm like, yeah, pretty much. Just whatever. We get it. I, I do feel like Raph is so, like, he's like extra roided out in this movie, which to scary degree that he's mm-hmm. that he's jumping out of the cars and slamming the people with his arms and then kind of coming back to the truck in the in that beginning opening <laughs> sequence yeah he's uh, more hulk than turtle yeah exactly exactly and on the previous episode my guest and i also pointed out like how one it, it's the combination of their design like mm-hmm. of the faces they're like hulking bodies mm-hmm. and the the voices that they feel like they're all like sick like i made the joke about like oh they feel like they're all like 60 like two divorces yeah. in and like yeah. they've seen some shit and like you know yeah, now like, they're gonna fight crime <laughs> leonardo is so like i've seen shit i've been places you don't understand me but not yeah. in the teen you don't understand and they're like i've seen some shit so, yeah what have you seen really like what you done you live in the sewer I think the movie does it. It does it does justice to these characters in that at least they they feel like the leads of this movie. That was yes. a big complaint yeah. with the previous film. It was Megan Fox's April O'Neil and the Turtles. Yeah, and the the darker tone that I sort of mentioned, I feel like mm-hmm. is much better here because because yeah. we see them in the light. We see them very clearly, like in the opening scene. You yeah. see them in the, on that skyscraper. They're doing, you know, they don't seem like teenagers, but they're at least doing teenagery stuff, like hanging yeah. out above a Knicks game, eating pizza, and and you know, trying to like enjoy life and kind of yeah. get their the get their more kicks. So. Yeah, exactly. They feel slightly more like kids in that way, at least, even if the performances don't don't lean in that direction. <laughs> and they're not really. This kind of leads into the the title of the film, I guess. They're not really in like in the darkness, in the shadows. We see them because there's elements of the first one where they're depicted. It's almost like a horror movie, like they're yeah. creeping up on April and stuff. And these are the characters we're supposed to be, you know, uh, empathetic with. Yeah. And like, it's I'm scared for Megan Fox right now <laughs> in that first one. Here they have that camaraderie right off the bat. You know, they we set up we set up their their the fact that they feel cut off from the world, and that's like obviously such a super relatable feeling to feel like kind of on the outside looking in. And I think it, 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 it kind of, I think like you said, it adds a little bit of more heart to this film just right from the first few minutes. Absolutely. And it's funny, like you said, cause obviously the complaints about how it didn't feel like their film, it felt like a Megan Fox film in the first one that rears its head in a different way here in that the turtles seem so much stronger. And sometimes the, the human characters you're like, Oh, can we just go back to the turtles actually? Can we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly uh speaking of april i do think the first movie is very overt i mean you know michael bay has a, a lot of sexism and misogyny in his movies and that's kind of his vibe in a lot of times mm-hmm. and i think in the first movie with with megan fox's april there's a lot of moments that they're just like straight up not even hiding the fact that they're objectifying her mm-hmm. i think the most blatant example of that in this movie is early on probably when she's you know, tying up her shirt central. and like, yeah, yeah. When she's going through there and like putting on the, sh- the skirt and, but it's, it's at least to the movie's credit, it's part of a ruse mm-hmm. to sort of divert attention and sort of like intimidate a Baxter Stockman and then mm-hmm. get that other guy's attention and kind of fit in with these other like college girls or whatever. And so I, I think at least to the movie's credit, I feel like they try to have it be more like April weaponizing her sexuality mm-hmm. versus the movie putting Megan Fox in an uncomfortable position. Did you feel that at all? 
I'm I'm really mixed on it because I'm a big fan of Megan Fox. So I never want to say that she gives a bad performance. I think she gives a good performance in the wrong role. And I don't think it's coming from her. I think she's miscast. But more importantly, I think she's misdirected. She Mm. doesn't seem like April to me. And she doesn't seem like a reporter. She doesn't seem like for a lot of the film, I'm like, why is she hanging out with these tales? Where are her friends? What's she doing? And like they have then the relationship with Casey Jones. And again, there's not really any chemistry there. And I think it's because a lot of the time, like she is being directed to look like look far away and you know as she walks flick the hair and she's a stunning woman so like i get it like i love looking at megan fox too but it feel it, it it's toned down you're right it is really toned down but it still fell out of place for me and mm-hmm. i don't know if that's also because you know it's been a few years now and we have sort of started to change the way of how yep. we film women and how they're portrayed so maybe also that's why it maybe sticks out to me more now than it would have done on original release yeah absolutely no i agree i agree with all of that and we're, my wife and i my wife hadn't seen this movie we were watching it last night for this episode and I leaned over to her. I'm like, so Megan Fox, what do you think? Is she a bad actress? And then we kind of had a conversation where my conclusion was she's not a bad actress. She just has a limited range. And if you put her in the right role, she shines. I think I feel the same way about Keanu Reeves, who I love in most things, but I feel like in something like Bram Stoker's Dracula or wherever, you're like this, she shouldn't be in this. He's that's not fair. You're, you're setting him up for failure. And I feel like with Megan Fox, in a lot of cases, that it's it's exactly what you're saying. She's either miscast or misdirected, or mm-hmm. she's just told to be the the sex pot and not really to try to embody the character. Yeah. I had only seen, I only saw Jennifer's body like last year. Finally, oh. I was like, to film Twitter occasionally. Well, that'll circulate what a great yeah. movie it is. And I'm like, I need to watch that eventually. I, I so have finally, the justice for Jennifer's body jumper. Nice, nice. <laughs> so I finally watched it last year. I was like, I get it. She's great in this. This movie's awesome. Like, and I was I was fully on board now. Let hot women be funny. She's great in Jennifer's yeah. body. I really like her in the film Friends with Kids. I mean, her stint in New Girl was so good they brought her back because she's so good in New right. Girl. And it's like, yeah, she's fucking hot. She's stunning. But she maybe maybe just don't have her always as like the tough chick or the romantic lead. Let the right. girl be funny. Let her be weird. She has a really good sense of humor and she's very charismatic. And these kind of roles don't let that come out. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree completely. And in this movie, I think it's also because the focus was so much more on the turtles. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, the all the other human characters, I specifically Will Arnett's Vernon Fenwick mm-hmm. in this one. Like in the first one, I'm like, all right, he's trying to do his thing. I get it. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Here, every time they cut to him, I was like, ah, oh, this guy. Like, and I like Will Arnett on the rest of development and yeah. in some other things, but as Lego Batman. But but as Bojack, yeah, exactly. But in here, every time they cut to him, it felt like remnants of an old script that they just forgot to scrub out. And this is not a air quotes kids movie. Again, it's a kids movie that at times doesn't really feel like it's for kids. It's Mm -mm. there's a reason my six year old is scared to watch these two, and I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. It's you're too young for that. It's. It, yeah, there's a. I forget where I was going with that, but there's. A, it, it just feels <laughs> like there was either like yeah, it, like I say, an old script or like contractual agreements that like we right. have him in contracts and he need like not that he's demanding to be in it, but like his contract says we have to use him, so we're gonna have to do these scenes and you know. right. And, and this is like this movie is almost two hours. It didn't yeah. need to be that that long. I even yeah. was like, I think the first one was like a hundred minutes, and it was. 
And this could have been, you could have trimmed down like 10 minutes of this. Just take out that, the Vernon, like Vernon, the Falcon Fenwick subplot, like all of that I could have done without like, and I think you just leave it a mystery who, who caught the shredder last time. They just, the turtles caught him and then disappeared and then just don't have that. And And I think this movie is a little stronger. It would give Casey more to because Casey turns up because he's a fan favorite and he wasn't Mm -hmm. in the first one. And I know he's beloved, but he has nothing to do for the whole film other than sit with Megan Fox. I mean, he does do the couple of fight scenes, but when he's not fighting, he does nothing else. And, you know, April is the sidekick of the turtles. She doesn't need two sidekicks herself. So <laughs> I think you can yeah, easily merge Vernon Casey in this and just have like him sneaking to get the camera and things like that. That could have easily been Casey. Speaking of the Marvel of it all, it makes me think of Thor The Dark World where Darcy has is Natalie Portman's assistant or intern and she's got her own intern yeah (laughs) we're like what like that's part of the joke there and i think yeah that's exactly exactly right i i I do think it's fun to see Stephen amell actually having fun playing a character (laughs) yeah (laughs) exactly because in in, on arrow he's just so like brooding and like intense and here he just gets to be like oh i'm casey jones and he just like have a little bit of fun and Mm -hmm. and uh you know has some fun action sequences later on with bebop and rocksteady the whole like the makeshift rollerblades, which yeah. is interesting, but but yeah, I, I I feel I mixed on him in this movie because one, he is a fan favorite, and I I already talked about in the original film, Elias Codius is like such a standout as mm-hmm. Casey Jones in that first movie, like to the point where watching it now, especially as an adult, I'm like he's the kind of the best performance in this. Like mm-hmm. that character's got surprising depth in that first movie, I think. He, you know, I feel like Stephen Amell is kind of handed an underwritten role here. He seems like more of a, he seems the most teenage of the whole bunch. (laughs) He does. He totally does. And and his whole thing is like, oh man, I'm going to be a detective someday. It's like the, uh, the, the guy in Back to the Future mopping up the diner is like, I'm going to be mayor one day. You'll see. It's like that kind of vibe. Yeah. Which, which is not how Casey Jones is normally portrayed mm-hmm. he's normally kind of just the badass vigilante here he's a he were he's a police officer working corrections with like a passion for hockey on the side i guess uh I think it's so interesting arrow was probably in full swing at this point or maybe only in the first two seasons maybe i can't remember the timeline yeah. but i think it definitely existed and he was definitely in that role so like you can imagine they'd be like ah oh, he plays like a dark brooding vigilante on the tv get him on this and then obviously on set someone was like do you want to do something a bit different he's like yes please and it's also it it feels like if there had been a sequel to this, and we'll get to that probably later in this conversation, mm-hmm. that that this could have worked as sort of his origin story to mm-hmm. why he's like, ah, oh, the system doesn't work, and mm-hmm. throw throwing his badge, you know, on the on the desk, and like, ah, oh, I'm gonna do things my own way, and then becoming the vigilante that we all know in the next film. But I feel like not even that's not really set up here. Not honestly. really. He's he's kind of like eye candy, which, you know, he, he doesn't look bad. I'm all right with that. But yeah, he's very much like, I don't think they give him enough to do, which is why like that you can just easily merge those two roles, give him more of a backstory, give him more of a, a focus and a role. But yeah, they don't set him up. He's just like, I'm a good looking guy who's good with a hockey stick. And I saw these villains. So I'm going to help you pretty stranger April. And then he just is around. Yeah, he's tagging along. Tagging along yeah. with the rest of, even though that it feels weird to be praising, not really praising the screenplay of this movie, but I did, I did appreciate the sort of elegance 
if I if and I use that in the loosest possible sense <laughs> of of this movie to have you know they defeated Shredder in the first movie they bring Brian T in to play him here much you know much better actor he gets a lot of FaceTime which I have issues with Shredder never being in his mask really but whatever I'll put that aside for the sake of the movie but I, I like that the movie uses Shredder as the vehicle to get us to literal vehicle to get us to not only Bebop and Rocksteady, but also Casey Jones. Mm -hmm. So it's like rather than having, you know, uh, superhero movie fatigue where you're like, okay, these, these three characters, all these three villains are all emerging at the exact same time. Yeah. And then they decide to team up. It's like the one incident that that prison van getting hijacked by the Foot Clan and everything that one incident brings all these other characters into the fold. So I, I, I think that's sort of a, a efficient solution to bring all these new characters in. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really, it's like one sequence. There's not too much exposition. You get to know which ones are important and then it sets up the rest of the film. It's a, yeah. Elegant is kind of the right word. Yeah. The thing, the thing with Krang is complete opposite, but we'll, that's just like, oh, I want to be in this movie. It's almost like he interrupts the movie to be like, wait a minute, I, I, the fans want me here. Yeah, um, and it's like that. It's like, I'm just going to interrupt and take you into my alternate dimension, give you a load of exposition, and then off you go back to the movie. See you in an hour. But you know what? Having never seen Krang, Bebop, and Rock City in this movie, 23 minutes in because I wrote it down, when Krang shows up, I was like, there it is. That's yeah. the weird ass like Ninja Turtle yeah. stuff I want. That's yeah, and that's it. Like it's not done in the best way, but it's what we want. So they're like, you know what? They're going to be pleased whatever we do. So just do it the easiest way. It's it's like again, we keep drawing Marvel comparisons, but I mean they're kind of changed the way these movies are made. Mm -hmm. they, they change the game with franchise filmmaking, so yeah. it makes sense. It's kind of like how this exact same year when Spider-Man shows up in Civil War, and those rights kind of happened later in the game. So they didn't. I think if had they had that as part of the plan earlier in the development cycle, they probably would have had a cleaner way to introduce Tom Holland, Peter Parker, rather than, oh, you know, Tony Stark's heard of this kid. I'm going to go visit him all of a sudden. I don't know where. And recruit him to be in this, this, this one sequence of the movie. I think it kind of feels like that, where we're just like, oh, sure. I'll, that's, I want Nobody questioned that because everybody wanted Spider-Man in the yeah. MCU. So we're like, that's fine. Sure. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of the same thing. We're to be here. <laughs> I I don't really I feel like Brad Garrett's voice for Krang is a little weird. I agree with I agree with your dad. Like I think Krang on the show is hilarious. Yeah. And the fact that he, was, he would always have that sort of like he sounded like he was under underwater constantly or something. <laughs> like that whole thing. Yeah. Like I yeah. love that. And I wish they had gone closer to that version. I cannot see why they didn't. <laughs> like because that is the Krang that I want, but that is not the Krang that works in this universe. No, it doesn't. But I mean. What what is this even? What is this universe even? They're just he's just things aren't even established. They just no, jump just into trying. Dimension X out of nowhere. So it's like sure, whatever. <laughs> that was your buy-in moment to have the audiences follow you literally to anything you were you were trying yeah. to. See the addition I do like, and the character who I think is established super well is Laura Linney's character. She plays like is she the head of NYPD? She NYPD chief, right? She's, um, yeah, she's chief. She's taking over from like the organized crime division for the uh, the you know the preceding police chief who's done a very bad job. 
Yeah, and like it, it's maybe some bias that I just think Laura Linney is one of our finest actors working today, so I am happy to watch her in anything. But I feel mm-hmm. like she just comes on the screen and you know within like one line of dialogue exactly the kind of character she is, what shit she's taking, what shit she isn't taking. And she's only in maybe four or five scenes, but every time she turned up, I was like, eh. yeah. She just shows up disapprovingly. Yeah. Like, oh, Jones, you're even more of a loser than I thought. Pieces yeah. out for 20 minutes, comes back like, ah, oh, fine, go ahead, let them go. <laughs> and then pieces out for 20 minutes. Like, so you're the turtles, huh? <laughs> All right, fine, go. Come back. I mean, and she doesn't have a lot to, to do, but it, yeah, I agree with you. I like, I love Laura Linney. I just recently, my wife and I recently rewatched uh, the Truman show for mm. the like first time in a long time. And she's obviously mm. great in that. Is she, it, yeah, she's one of those actors that you're just happy to see them anytime mm-hmm. they're in anything so when she shows up in with a kind of a thankless role in a movie like this you're like you know what you go Laura Linney you probably made more on this movie than you made on every all the others like indie movies that you've made before so go get get secure the bag Laura Linney get the check get the check get the holiday home and just have some fun on set yeah it's kind of like Whoopi in the in the previous one when Whoopi Mm -hmm. Goldberg shows up as uh, as April's boss you're like you know what? You always come to play like you Whoopi and Laura Lenny are the kind of performers that you hand them the script two seconds. They got it. They do their thing. They peace out and hang out in their trailer yeah. and, and they, they deliver exactly what you need and usually go above and beyond. And I think, yeah, the, yeah, she's, she's fun in this. She doesn't have enough to do, but again, it's a Ninja Turtles movie where there's all these characters. I think That's we're just glad I'm- to have Laura Lenny as part of it. Absolutely. And I'm almost glad they didn't give her more because it's already a little bit crowded. So you don't want any more crowding out. Like, you know, we want to see those turtles out of those shadows. Exactly. (laughs) So we also meet Bebop and Rocksteady. (laughs) Played played by Gary Anthony Williams and Seamus. What are your thoughts on those characters? So many years Decades after the original animated series introduced these characters as Shredder's primary henchmen and all of that, what are your thoughts on their performances or the, their, their depictions in this movie, the, mm-hmm. the adaptation? Once they become Bebop and Rocksteady, as we know them, totally down, love it. Where they're eating the vat of spaghetti and like that's that <laughs> cartoon playfulness that I love. Yep. Don't want to really dwell on it too much, but I do wonder if there's maybe similar cultural insensitivity when they're still humans i don't know mm, yeah and <laughs> some of that did seem a little off but once they turn and i, I like because the minute you see them in their human forms you know you're like oh, oh. Um, and then when they transform i just thought they were great again it's very silly it's very stupid but that's what i i think with bebop specifically like the mohawk the sunglasses and all that i think they're sort of just hamstrung by the design from yeah, the animated absolutely. show so he they're dressed like it's 1987 yeah. even though it's 2016 <laughs> because they're like well fans will get mad at us if he doesn't have the mohawk and he doesn't right, yeah the sunglasses that that enlarged when his body did apparently it, you know, I think that's... Look, they're that's, talking mutant turtles. And don't right, exactly. And argue about the sunglasses. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, they're, 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 they're idiots in this in this movie, and they're supposed to be. So I'm like, yeah, they're, they're, the, they're, the, they're the, the stupid idiots that I would expect Bebop and Rock City to be. I did find it funny, the whole my man thing that they say about 4,000 times yeah. in this movie. I was like, so Jason Momoa just borrowed that for Aquaman? Like, what's going on? Because... <laughs> Justice League was the year after this, and that obviously, famously, he has a moment where he says, my man. Every time they said that, 
I was like, I had flashbacks to to Aquaman. So what we're saying is Jason Momoa is a Ninja Turtle out of the shadows. I mean, I'm not, not, I'm not opposed to, he would have <laughs> fit in this movie. He would have been a really good Casey Jones, actually. Oh my God, he would have. Though I think he would have maybe been too physically intimidating <laughs> next to Megan Fox. <laughs> you would have scared the turtles. Fine. The turtles yeah. would have been like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's a lot. Yeah, no, I, I, so I, I have no issues with that. The fact that they have all these crazy set pieces, like on the waterfall and all of that, like I, I love all of that stuff. Did, did the action in this movie work for you? If, if viewing it through the lens of, oh, this is just a crazy cartoon. Man. I think it did. And again, especially, you know, it's 2023. And again, let's just go back to those Marvel people, modern action scenes and filming aren't that great and I know a lot of people are not fans of Bay and I know that he maybe is to blame for some of the reasons that actions aren't filmed that well but I like how he directs action and I do like how cartoony it is and I don't care that it doesn't follow you know the rules of chemistry or physics and so yeah I liked the fight sequences you know especially like the opening scene where they're just running around through the sewers I think was filmed beautifully I like how he films his set pieces and it does work for me and again it does seem in the spirit of that cartoon fun little bit of slapstick not too much but you know we're watching cgi green people fight cgi rhino so like let's let's put the humor in it let's have fun obviously when you compare it to you know amazing fight sequences of you know master craftsmen it's not going to be the same but it works for me because it's visual enough for me to follow it but not think too much about it and I, I don't need it to follow logic I just want it to look cool no and the, the funny thing about this too is because this was this was directed by Dave Green who did Earth to Echo but because Bay feels like such a hands-on producer mm-hmm. they feel like they do feel like they were directed by Michael Bay like there's especially it, those it, sequences yeah especially those sequences like it's almost like Maybe he's like, it almost feels like Michael Bay when he produces a movie. He's like, yeah, you film all the stuff. And then when the action comes, I'll be on set and I'll kind of guide you. It yeah. almost feels like that's what's what's going on with these two movies. He uh, probably picks people that he knows like his style or have similar styles to him as well, I'd imagine. So like they are yeah. probably, they are hired to emulate the style that he wants. Absolutely. Like it wouldn't have, they could have made a, a crossover movie with this franchise and his Transformers mm-hmm. and no one would have batted an eye. We're like, yeah, that makes sense. They Seamless. all feel like, feels like yeah. the same thing. You even get a, a kind of cute little reference to the Transformers during the Halloween parade mm-hmm. when Bumblebee. Michelangelo is with Bumblebee. Yeah, I thought that was like, oh, that's cute. Okay, I'll allow it. And I, you know, I'm not even the biggest fan of those movies, but I'm like, oh, I, I understand what you're doing. I get the Easter egg. I like it. <laughs> and, and Michael Bay for me has... Again, like you were saying, like the action stuff he's he's proficient at and it's what he's known for. It's the other things in his movies that a lot of times doesn't work for me, though I really did enjoy Ambulance last year. So I so, see that and I sort of regret not seeing it now because I feel like that again is a big cinema film. I don't think that will have the same effect on the small probably. screen. So I'm like, I probably missed it. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's a testament to, hey, he knows what he's doing when it comes to that stuff. He can craft a a you know, an exciting kind of a thrilling blockbuster action thriller. And I think Ambulance was a nice reminder of, hey, he's he's been locked in with the Transformers for a long time for the most part, but (laughs) he could still do, you know, stuff on the level of like Bad Boys, The Rock and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so 
I I think the Bebop and Rock City mostly work. I love I love the that this movie, unlike a lot of its predecessors in this franchise, is unafraid of the the cosmic stuff. We actually get TCRI mm-hmm. in this movie, and in the last Ninja Turtles two, it's, they changed it to TGRI because they were like, no, no, C stands for cosmic. We can't have any space stuff in this. <laughs> yeah, that's we got- pretty cool. They're like, we'll do time travel though. Yeah, exactly. I don't. It, it's the nineties were a weird time. They had a, remember they had a, they, I don't know if you know, you know about this. They had like a concert tour. They had like all kinds of weird. It was the, the this franchise is, is all over the place, which is why it's <laughs> such a fun one to cover on this show. Cause it's like such wildly different takes on yeah. the same material. But yeah, so they, we get the technodrome in this thing, albeit sort of briefly at the end. I would have loved to have seen the little, the little eyeball satellite thing on the top mm. of the technodrome. I don't think we really got that prominently in this movie. And we get the turtle van shooting manhole covers, not too dissimilar from the pizza shooting vehicle from the toys. From my childhood, I was sad. It Mine too, pizza. I had that too. I was sad it wasn't pizzas, but I was like, logically, I don't know how effective shooting a pizza would be, so I can see why they don't. Like, it wouldn't be my choice, but I understand the choice. <laughs> well, we know we know how important logic is to this movie, so <laughs> I... No, seriously, they could have had it be like the pizzas that they overcooked and then they like all burnt and hard and like... Yeah charred they could be like well we got to do something we don't want pizzas to go to <laughs> they should have had me in the writer's room i guess they is should've. what i'm saying absolutely one of the the other main new additions that we didn't talk about yet is tyler perry as baxter stockman playing essentially you know neil degrasse tyson from hell mm-hmm. like a really twisted version of neil degrasse tyson basically did did his casting work for you in this movie like because he's you know he's, very much known for Medea and those kinds of things. And here he comes in a Turtles movie with that over-the-top laugh and uh, how that work? It might just be me, but like as far as I know, Tyler Perry doesn't really have much cultural recognition in the UK. So mm. like I know his name means something, but it doesn't mean anything to me. I would say this is probably one of the only films I've ever seen him in. So I was just vibing with the character. And then at the end when it was like Tyler Perry, I was like, oh yeah, he's quite famous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I... In a normal movie, he would stick out like a sore mm-hmm, thumb. Mm-hmm. In this movie, with everything else going on, I'm like, I, every time he did his little like giggle giggle thing yeah. because he was up to some mischief or he was like awkwardly, you know, talking to April and like mm-hmm. trying to like charm her or whatever <laughs> and impress her with his his scientific knowledge, all of that I thought was super fun. And mm-hmm. I actually I actually don't mind his character in here. I if anything his Baxter Stockman's introduction here and the way that his story ends with Shredder basically locking him away and, and saying like, nobody's will ever know who you are. Nobody's going to know your name because mm-hmm. Baxter Stockman's in it for the glory of science and all of that, I think would have set up perfectly a third movie where he's mad about at Shredder and out to get him, maybe take some of that purple ooze for himself mm-hmm. and turns into a giant fly man, which speaking of which in a movie like this, the, the most ridiculous line was the whole thing where he's like, Oh, it's, you know, it's awakened. All of us have a dormant gene in our DNA and it connects us to our animal ancestors. So it's like they're taking their place in the animal kingdom. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Even for this movie, I was just like, really? It's a uh, step. It's a, it's a reach. It, it is. Yeah, it's, it stands out egregiously. And then two <laughs> seconds later, Bebop and Rocksteady are like looking down in their pants being like, my man, I'm happy about it. So you're like, yeah, there it is. <laughs> We're back to the movie. No, it's it's funny. But there's yeah, there's a lot of the the sort of turtle the hallmarks of the of the turtle cartoon that in here mm-hmm. that I I really appreciate. 
I didn't even, yeah, go ahead. I think that's them listening to kind of some of the negative criticism of the first one. They were probably like, right, okay, we tried to make it a bit different. We're sticking with what we've got, but let's put in a sprinkling of stuff for the fans to cheer them up. Yeah, exactly. Even the fact that the story, the plot, air quotes plot, is basically just a fetch quest. They're like, oh, we got to get this part of the device so that we can get this part of the device so that we can get this thing so we can open up the portal and Technodrome can come and take over Earth. And Shredder's just immediately like, cool, let's do that. (laughs) I don't have any ideas. I was about to be locked up. So let's just, yeah, let's roll with that. I'm down. Which... It feels like something that would happen on the cartoon. Krang's being like, I have this idea, Shredder. And he's like, all right, Krang. Because he's <laughs> trying to do James Avery legend. Uh, it feels like something that Shredder would just go along with. Because I feel like there was a level of intimidation on the anim- in the animated series that maybe carries over here where Shredder knows that he's outmatched with Krang. So I think part of him is like, yeah, I want to be, you know, I want to do that too. I want to have all that power. And also you're scary and I'd rather be on your side <laughs> than kind of in your way. And so I, I think that this movie captures that dynamic, even in sort of a ham-fisted way. Like all you can kind of paint over most of the flaws of this movie, but like it's based on a cartoon. What do you want? <laughs> like you wanted you wanted to see the cartoon brought into live action. That's what this is. Yeah. You know, it's it's sort of the, a little bit like the the recent Star Wars trilogy where they're like, oh, you want it to be like the original trilogy? Here's the Force Awakens. Uh, too much like it. You want the last? You want it to be very different than the original trilogy? All right, Last Jedi. Too different than the Rise of Skywalker. They're like, I don't know, both. What do you want from? <laughs> it's sort of like that. So it's like it would be unfair for for fans to be like, the first one's too different. This is too similar. Yeah. And then we never even got like. I, I feel like this is a, a natural progression towards what what you know a third movie would have been even stronger in that direction. Yeah, like setting up the the kind of support of the police, the pairing with police, setting up yeah. the wider like human counterparts. I definitely feel you know, that they could have been, and I assume were meant to be more. And, you know, I'm not crying into my cornflakes about it, but it is a shame. I would have watched yeah. a third one. Yeah. And uh, I think the the most, the biggest test for me with most of these turtle movies and why even the lesser ones, I'm, I sort of give a free pass is the, the dynamics with the characters. Like I, I like the camaraderie with the turtles. I like when they have, internal conflict i'm real i'm a big fan of the whole leo and raf rivalry that basically runs through all six of these movies to varying degrees and and i think the even though it is underdeveloped the whole uh, you know the ooze as a potential cure to turn them human i i feel like they should have worked with done a little bit more with that but i like the idea conceptually of giving them this crossroads where they have to accept that they are turtles and use that to their advantage and this is who they were meant to be and all of that I, I think that the movie gets a lot of the tart from there as well. Yeah, I almost feel like that's used too early. That would have been better for like a third or fourth film. Mm-hmm. I can see why it's in here and it definitely adds to it. But because I feel like that needed more time to ruminate. And I think that could have been much stronger for a, in a different film to be like what, almost the main focal point. Right. Yeah. Because we do get that that confrontation with Leo and Raph where... Raph is saying, oh, what about all of us? Does does our voice matter? And Leo's basically like, only one voice matters, mine. And I was like, Mm. whoa, Mm. hey now. Again, teenagers. (laughs) That's the kind of thing when I'm saying when they when they feel like teenagers, they're they're acting recklessly, they're like arguing over stupid like not stupid stuff, but they're arguing over things they're not like considerate of each other's feelings. And and I like that. And I've mentioned this this franchise uh, on these episodes as well. It, it reminds me of something like the the recent Sonic the Hedgehog movies because I've I've often said that like because my 
daughter loves those movies. Those mm-hmm. are like some of her favorite movies. She, she loves those characters and stuff. Uh, it's like that is for her now what the Ninja Turtles yeah. more for me back in the day when I was, you know, because I was seven when the original movie came out and she's six now with the Sonic the Hedgehog. So it's seeing that these characters sort of realize their strengths, their weaknesses and how they can come together as a team. Like that's always that's always going to be satisfying from a fan who's grown up with these characters. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny that you bring that comparison because when you were talking about Tyler Perry's Doctor, you know, maybe coming back potentially in a third film. What I instantly thought of was Doctor Eggman coming back in Sonic 2. Completely insane. I was like, yeah, (laughs) you could have done that. That would have been so much fun. It's so interesting. And like you say, then trying to take serum and stuff. And, you know, he's using the blue energy spikes, isn't he? Yeah, I think it is nice when they do work on the character stuff and that they do let them cook and be more than just action placeholders. And so, yeah, like there is such improvement in this film and it's nowhere near the film that people make it out to be. But yeah, it, it just, it's not as bad as you think, guys. If you're looking for a live action version of that cartoon that you all loved, I think this is not, obviously, I don't think this is the best of these six movies, mm-hmm. but I think this is the most, this is the closest to that, the tone of that yeah animated series as any of the movies even the first 1990 movie it's more trying to it's taking a lot of inspiration from the comics Mm -hmm. and so it is darker in tone than this is not as dark as the previous one to this but (laughs) but but yeah i think this this feels like that's exactly what they're going for and Mm -hmm. i feel like it it mostly mostly hits it i think it it, with the new with more development i think you know like we said a third one could have been kind of the ultimate ninja turtles cartoons brought to live action yeah yeah, would it, uh, I think they would have nailed the formula by the third one because I think they they went the wrong direction with the first one. They course corrected with this one, so the third one I think they would have settled and they would have been in a good. Right, exactly. I I, I did want to mention I, I love Mike Mikey's moment with the whole the whole we're not monsters monsters thing. I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, since we were talking I, about the turtles arc. I love Michelangelo. I just love him in all iterations. He is my favorite. So yeah. I was just about to ask. Anytime he gets a moment, I'm like, oh, good for him. And it feels like New York City. And I think part of it is the the police have a little more of a subplot here. Mm -hmm. I feel like it feels more, the New York City of this movie feels more more lived in than certainly the last few. Yeah. Uh, That it, it, I'm sure they did a lot of filming not in New York City, but it does seem like they did at least some and, and it feels, it just feels like the environment and where they are is a character in the story in a way where they're like, oh, you know, we're just four brothers who hate bullies and and love this city. And I'm like, hell yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, like, I think New York is important to the franchise, which is, you know, my biggest exactly. issue with the third film. I know that they're like really leaning into the ninja stuff, but I'm like, why are we in feudal Japan? We were in New York. What happened to New York? So like... I like, yeah, how New York this one is, how much, you know, and the end of the film ends on the Statue of Liberty. It's so cheesy, but I was like, yeah, yeah, like, woo, cheering along. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a, a couple other things I wanted to point out here, too, that I thought was really funny. A little less conversation by Elvis Presley plays during the, like, heist sequence. And I was like, yeah. so did Ocean's Eleven just make that now just a heist theme whenever yeah. there's a heist in a movie? They're just like, yeah, we're going to use that. And then the character Karai is credited but is that's the woman that's working with shredder who i think in the comics in the animated series is his daughter totally doesn't come through in this movie whatsoever karai was mentioned by name i think once in the previous 
played by a different actress. And here she's just there, which I thought was a weird choice. I didn't and even know that she had a name because she just exactly like generic henchwoman 101. Also paired with generic henchwoman 102, Laura Linney's assistant. Like, and yeah. if you told me they were the same person, I, I wouldn't be that surprised because they both just stand <laughs> there. No offense to those actresses. Right, sure of course. Are very good in their own right, but they're given nothing to do other than stand and glare or judge. Right. It feels again, it feels like the kind of thing that Karai would have been would have had something to do if they did a follow-up to this. Like mm-hmm. in retrieving the shredder who gets double crossed by Krang, as you know, fans of the fans of this franchise might not be surprised by. It gets like frozen and put away and I, I with his other playthings and I that I thought that was really fun kind of twist too. Mm-hmm. That Krang is the is the boss of this of this movie. Because that in a lot of the cause I used to play a lot of the video games as well. I think when Krang was involved, it was kind of you fight Shredder, then you fight Krang. And mm-hmm. Krang is sort of the ultimate boss because he's the most powerful. Boss. And then the Easter egg in here, uh, there's like Vanilla Ice, is Ice Ice Baby's playing on the jukebox <laughs> in the bar where Casey Jones goes to look for Bebop and Rocksteady. And that just felt like an obvious tip of the hat to Ninja Rap from uh, the last Ninja Turtles 2. And I don't I think mean, I even noticed that last time. Cowards that they just didn't go for Ninja Rap, to be completely honest. Cowards. Yeah. Vanilla Ice should have played the... The bartender. That's what they should yes. <laughs> just lean into it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Is there anything else about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows that you, you wanted to mention before we move on? I think I think the thing that sticks with me is, for me anyway, I don't have kids. It makes me feel sad that this is kind of the last iteration. I know that they still live on on Nickelodeon. So I hope that, you know, I know we're going to talk about Legacy anyway, but it makes me sad that we finally got this opportunity to see things brought to life that, you know, it took six films for them to be bring one of the biggest villains in the universe into the movies. So, like, well done them for doing that. And in my mind, Krang was successful. And I do think they, they get more things right than they get wrong. And, yeah, like, I just, I just think it's an all right movie, which is the worst, most boring thing to say on the well when the bar for this franchise is set relatively low if you yeah. you know you get you go to see the turtles you want to see crazy action you want to have some laughs you need pizza you want shredder you want yep. you know some of the characters you recognize and uh, done half decently yeah. feeling like at least like they're inspired by that those versions yeah. of the characters not completely off the rails and i feel like like you're saying this it's a popcorn movie you don't go in there and be like you don't come out of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows, like contemplating your life or anything. You're just like, that was fun. Let's go. What are we doing now? What are, what are, what are we doing the rest of the day? Like, yeah. you know, you could maybe, maybe feel inspired to go home and play one of the games or whatever, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing. But yeah, I, it, it's these characters, these are just, it's just like the, the comic book superhero franchise that refuses to die no matter how many times they make it. It fizzles out. They try again. It fizzles out. They try again. It fizzles out because they, in 2021, it was reported that Colin Jost and I guess, I don't know if it's his brother, Casey Jost, writing a live action reboot again with Michael Bay and others attached to produce. I haven't heard anything else about that since, but there is a animated film coming out this year in August with Seth Rogen and I think Evan Goldberg, his producing partner, producing it. Yeah, that so I'm, I've heard very little about though. So I'm I don't like, I don't know what to expect read about that. And I love Seth Rogen and is it ever, what's his name? Goldberg, um, I think. Evan Goldberg. Yeah. I love the work they do. I love their films. I love the boys, you know, those guys know how to make good entertainment. But what I hope as much as 
I think you could go in the kind of the boys and invincible and real aggressive. I don't want that for these. I don't want that for for right. Michelangelo. I want him to stay innocent. So I don't want them to go like I'm I'm sure they have great respect for the characters too, so I would mm-hmm. hope that they are going to do them justice. I just I don't want it to be adult humor. Right. No, I agree. I I think the thing is that you if you watch these six movies, you pick bits and pieces from each of them. It's like it's like constant it's like a constant evolution. Like mm-hmm. you see the first movie, you're like, oh, okay. So they're trying to match the comics with the animated, kind of split the difference. Be for kids, but be, you know, accessible to adults, etc. The second one falls off the rails a little bit and goes <laughs> too much into the kid's side of things. It becomes too much of a kid's movie. Third one, I think, loses the mythology from the first two that you had going with mm-hmm. April, with Casey, with Shredder, and with the ooze and all of that. And then they tried again with the 2007. But the and the and the animation in that is it is a solid medium for for bringing these characters to life. I think that works. But the story has nothing to do with anything. It's like some ancient warrior and some stone generals and these monsters loose in New York. It has nothing to do with anything resembling the franchise. Mm-hmm. So and the and again that never got a sequel. And then the first one of the first one of the Bay films is too dark in tone and it's like almost ashamed of the childish childish side of the franchise Mm -hmm. and then this one gets the tone right but then it's kind of cut off at the knees again Mm -hmm. so it's like i'm hoping that they'll learn lessons and you know it'll be the animation like 2007 but maybe closer to the tone of this with respect for the mythology and all that so i'm i'm cautiously optimistic yeah about that but again it's we're recording this in february and that's coming out in august i haven't heard much of anything I don't know what's going on with that. So I'm hoping well, that you know, they'll I drop a trailer next month and it'll be like, whoa, this is what I've been waiting for. You know, I hadn't heard about Spider-Verse until Twitter started going mad about Spider-Verse. And then yeah. I was like, oh, they're showing about my cinema. I'd seen no trailers, no promotion for that. And that turned out to be one of the best animated movies ever made. So yeah. maybe it'll be a little sneaky thing like that. Maybe. So so what is the legacy of this franchise? I guess you probably already touched on that, but any anything to expound on there as we're talking about the future of it? Yeah, like for me, the legacy, because I'm a single woman in her 30s, the legacy feels like it, it, it's over. But I know that's not true because I walk past a giant Nickelodeon poster all the time that has the turtles on it. Yeah. And I have, you know, bought clothing for my nephew and see they have turtles clothing in the shops. So I think its legacy lives on just with that younger generation, which I'm totally fine with because that's how we both found it when we were young. I think it's a great franchise because it has that double dip that it it does work for kids, but there's enough there for adults. So I hope that, you know, long may its legacy continue as it continues to evolve with art and animation and the world. And I think to be honest, even if you're not, don't know the movie, it's just one of those things that everyone knows. Like if you just seen the like teenage mutant, Mm -hmm. like everyone's brains instantly know what you're talking about. It is like, I think its legacy will last forever. I just think it means so many different things to different people because there are so many iterations of them. So as long as there's one that you love, it doesn't matter that the others exist. It's kind of, and and other people, other guests on the show, I think have have alluded to that, that fact as well. It's kind of how we all wish people would understand about Batman by now, Mm -hmm. which I like, they can all, you can have Adam West and Ben Affleck and the animated version and the cartoon. And it's like, 
and the the video games. I mean, and it's nothing's negating each other. It's all different takes on the same material. And I, I think this because it's you know somewhat lower of a stakes as a as an IP. This has gotten away with having such crazy variations in mm-hmm. in how it's been depicted, and everybody's just cool with it. So uh, yeah, I think other other superhero franchises, I think, and fandoms can learn from the Ninja Turtles example. I think mm-hmm. is, is a kind of a good way to look at it. What is your ranking for these six theatrically released Ninja Turtles movies? I guess starting with number six. All right. So number six is just, it has to go there. It's the 2007 TMNT, just because I've never seen it. And also, I feel like it's the only one that didn't get a sequel, which means it can't be that great. (laughs) Well, it's like I said, the turtle stuff is cool. There's a big... This is a big fight with Leo and Raph on a rooftop in the in the rain that I think is really is the standout sequence from that movie. But I mean, you can watch that scene on YouTube. It's the story around it is all over the place. I think yeah. with a better story, it could have been high, way higher on your list. Yeah. And um, number five is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Free from the nineties. I'm well on the record as not being down with time travel narratives. So, and what, why? Why have we taken the turtles to feudal Japan? What What is the point in this? And then it means that you've got to have that dual narrative where it's like, and now let's flash back to modern times to see how Casey's getting on teaching people <laughs> hockey. And like, I, yeah. I adore TV. I'm never going to shit on TV, but it felt very TV show-ish. So that, that's, a, that's a low point for me. Um, number four, go for the original of this, the 2014 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I like Megan Fox. I enjoyed the film well enough, but there's not enough to return to it. It doesn't stick in my brain. It doesn't have any kind of fun stuff to want to go back and watch it, really. Yeah. Um, the, the, the turtles feel like, pun intended, shells of their uh, their former selves in, in the other, you know, other versions of these characters. Yeah. Now's where I get really controversial. I'm going to go for the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film at number three. I already got in trouble today because I gave it a low, not a low rating, but a low rating to some on Letterboxd and I was called Uh out for it. Absolutely get why it's loved. I enjoyed it, but it was a little bit too adult for me. I'm a child. You're not the only, you're not the only guest who said that. Yeah. Uh, Like it felt like it was trying to be not all the same, but in the, in league with Tim Burton's Batman, which is great. But I was like, that's not what I want from the turtles. I don't want serious reporting and men in the streets fighting crime. I'm like, I I want children being like (laughs) kind of recruited by a cult of uh, street thieves. And yeah. Yeah. So enjoyed it, but it's not, not top for me. Number two, I think would be this one just because it gave me Krang. It gave me Krang and I loved it and it made me so happy. And it made me feel like a five-year-old sat after school watching cartoons again. And sometimes that's exactly what I want from my film, especially reboots, revivals or that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, number two, sorry, number one for me is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze. I prefer the April in that film. I know that's controversial as well. But again, she she was softer. She was easier. She felt a bit younger. And I just enjoyed the absolute silliness. And the ninja rap just worked so well for me and all the dancing. And it was absolute nonsense. And I totally get why people were annoyed at the kind of re- the, the framing of it. But man, I was, I was there for it. I loved it. No, I... Yeah, again... Other other guests have said have said that they prefer Paige Turco over Judith Hogue as April, and I think it's also you know there's a 
people watching it now, uh, I think wouldn't necessarily appreciate Secret of the Oods the same way. But if you know, if you were in the pocket for these characters back in the day, that one has a very soft, like guilty mm-hmm. pleasure spot in people's hearts. We're like, oh, look at those guys! They're they're dancing and singing and fighting in like a toy store in a mall with all the toys, yeah. and you know, it's it, it again. Other than other than out of the shadows, like that's the other one that feels closest to the animated series yeah, because they, yeah, they shed some of the, the adults, the the darker stuff in the first one. And that's exactly why it works for me because yeah, like I said, my entry point was originally toys and then it was the cartoon being on in the background while I played with the toys and then like getting into watching the cartoon. So that's exactly what I want for my turtles. Whereas yeah, if you started with the comics, totally get why you want the other version of them. But you know, I just want to laugh at my little funny friends doing their little silly dances. <laughs> like that's, I can't. I'm a simple woman. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, let's let's hope there's a dance sequence or two in Mutant Mayhem this this so. summer. I hope. <laughs> Claire, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show and talking turtles. We'll we'll definitely have to have you back. We're doing Planet of the Apes after this. We're doing X Men. We're doing all kinds of fun stuff Ooh. on this show. <laughs> So we'll we'll have to talk off mic, but tell yeah. people where they can find you on social media. Yes, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Claire Ellen Hope, Claire without an I. And you can find W Rated um, on Twitter at W Rated Pod and on all good podcasting platforms. So yeah, hopefully by the time this comes out, we'll have some golden raspberry treats for you to check into. Tidbit, this film was indeed nominated for some golden raspberries, I believe. <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was. And, and again, as we've said, unjustly so. I like it's like, unjustly. what do you, what do you want from a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie? People, it's not going to be Oscar bait. It was never going yeah. to be Oscar bait. He's um, a giant pink brain with eyes. Just let it be fun. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, and they call him like, oh, I think Mikey says it's a giant piece of gum with eyes or something like yeah. that. And and then Leo calls him bubblelicious or something. All that stuff. I was like, I'm on board for this, yeah. guys. Yeah. So go, go see Out of the Shadows. I think at least here in in the States, I think it is, I think it was on Prime. I don't know if it's available streaming where you are. So but... in, I'm in Ireland, but Ireland and the UK, it's available on now. Oh, okay. There you go. So people listening to this, I think we recommend checking this out because it mm-hmm. probably, I was a mild fan of it when it came out and I had probably, it's probably been about at least five or six years since I've seen it because I, 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 I saw it soon after it came on home video and then I haven't watched, I hadn't watched it, I don't think, since then. And even I was like, oh, this is actually better than I, because I had, you know, five or six years of the world telling me this is a bad movie. <laughs> and now I'm like, no, it's not. Shut up, guys. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Claire's got my back. I so do. we're good. <laughs> thanks so much, Claire. Big thanks to Claire from W-Rated for coming on to talk about 2016's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows the last, the sixth theatrical and so far final Ninja Turtles film uh, to be released in theaters at least. And that is all going to change, of course, in August when we get Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, which we have since learned a little bit more about as far as the cast. We've seen a trailer for the film. And I got to say, I'm going to continue with what I've been saying all mega series. Cautiously optimistic. Looks like could be the marriage of uh, a cool animation style a uh, kid accessible approach to these characters and as well as, you know, leaning on the mythology and the, of these characters, giving us Leatherhead, giving us Mondo Gecko, giving us some of the supporting players that, you know, fans of the animated series have been longing to see for so long. 
So this being the end of a mega series, of course, you know, we'll, we'll come back around when Mutant Mayhem comes out. I'm sure I'll, I'll jump on here and, uh, and talk about that, share my thoughts on that film. But this being the end of a mega series, of course, what we've been doing for every single one of these mega series is compiling everybody's ranking and figuring out what is the consensus among our guests for the best film in a given franchise. Previously, we said Child's Play, uh, Evil Dead 2, uh, The Dark Knight, Beverly Hills Cop, not in order, obviously, jumping around a bit. So for this one, for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles franchise, these six films that we've talked about, and number six, we had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 with a combined 34 points. I, I've been going to uh, giving the a points, uh, giving a point value to each rating, uh, each place in the ranking, so that obviously the the films with the lowest score actually get the uh, top spot and so on and so forth. So number six, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 with 34 points. Number five, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2014 with 30.5. There was a little bit of uh, funny math involved here because some people hadn't seen a couple of the entries, which obviously put them towards the bottom uh, for that respective guess. In fourth place, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, this one itself, with a little, about, little over 26 points. In third place, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2007 TMNT, as it were, with, uh, with 22 points. In second place, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Ooze with 21 points. And then pretty by a pretty significant margin, in first place, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 with 13 points. Uh, one, two, three, four. Four of our guests had this uh, at in the, in the first place slot. That's Jackson, Kevin and Jeff from Sons and Shadows, and uh, Kevin the Critic. So it's Ninja Turtles 1990 in top spot. Uh, for my personal ranking, I I would probably go very similar to what the guests said. I would also have Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 in sixth place, followed by 2014. I would probably flip Out of the Shadows in 2007, as I said in this episode. Uh, kind of surprised that Out of the Shadows is as much fun to watch as it is, flaws and all. So I would put 2007 in fourth spot, uh, followed by Out of the Shadows, and then Secret of the Ooze, and then 1990. Still hasn't been touched uh, by any of the subsequent films. What we'll see, maybe Mutant Mayhem will be the strongest contender we've had yet. Uh, so that is the end of our Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mega series. I want to I want to thank our guests, Jackson Boren, Kevin Smith, Jeff Johnson, Philip Boone, Kai Yanis, Kevin Thomas, and Claire Brunton from the W Rated Podcast for coming on to talk about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with me. This was a blast. This is a franchise that I have a long history with, as you've heard. So it's, it's it was fun to finally go back and revisit these films in preparation for the new one. Hopefully the start of a franchise. I mean, if everything goes well with, the, with uh, Mutant Mayhem. But we're not done with mutants just yet. There's a little bit of mutants coming up. And Planet of the Apes, spoilers for one of those. And then after the Planet of the Apes mega series, we're doing X-Men. So uh, a lot of mutant discussions in the future, a lot of uh, prosthetics and makeup discussions in our future. That will all kick off in a couple of weeks with Planet of the Apes. We're doing all nine of those films and that being a nine film franchise, the longest we've done thus far. I'm not really going to have a hard and fast rule for guests as far as the ranking is concerned, it might be a much more casual version of that. 
So uh, just bear, you know, bear with us on that as we talk about all nine of the Planet of the Apes films from the 1968 original through to that five part original series, the Tim Burton film from 2001. Uh, and then, of course, the three most recent uh, films starring Andy Serkis. So that's all you have to look forward to in the weeks ahead. Thank you for listening to the Ninja Turtles mega series. But I want to know what you're ranking for the Ninja Turtles movies. Did we get it right? Is the 1990s still reign supreme? Or do you have a soft spot for one of the other ones? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table. Same handle on Instagram via email at robert at crookedtable.com. We'll be back, as I said, with a whole new mega series on the next episode. But for now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Catch you the next stop, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.